Okay, so we're going to read the introduction and uh, some some uh, comments about the book, and then when we finally do get to a koan, we'll read the koan, sit for five more minutes so it can percolate, or or maybe there's a better word, and then um, and then talk a little bit about the koan before we jump into reading his commentary of it. But I think you're going to find this book a lot of fun. So uh, I will share the book for those who don't have it or for those who do. And we'll read in alphabetical order. So Bonnie will go first and then Carol, Cody, Ellen, Kim, Len, Uh, Nandia. Kim, I come before you, though. Okay. Yes, you do. Okay. Um, Emily, did you have Emily? Yes, yeah. Emily will be after Cody. And Melissa after Milan. Right. And, and then Trouty, and then... Uh, no, it's and then no. Nelda, and then Trouty. No, ST, and the Starlet, and then Trouty. You forgot Nandia. I got Nandia. Oh, I, I said she, Nandia. She's before me. Okay. Great. Here's a better. Uh, okay, now I have you all. Okay, so Bonnie, you could read a couple. When the paragraph is short, you can read a, a couple of quotes, a couple of the quotes or paragraphs, and also pause with each paragraph. And that way, if someone wants to comment about anything or say, I don't know what that word means, I can look it up, you know, do dictionary or I, I just thought this was informative. These usually they're not, but these quotes about the book. So. Okay. John Tarrant is one of the most interesting minds in American Buddhism. He weaves his deep immersion in Buddhist practice. Western psychology and the arts into a unique yet completely authentic story of the Zen life and its mysteries. Melvin McLeod, Editor-in-Chief, The Shambhala Sun. You've never read a Zen book like this before. Having digested the traditional koan literature, which he has taught for many years, Zen teacher John Tarrant cheerfully goes beyond it. His koan retellings read like postmodern short fiction, complete with anti-heroic characters, visible scenery, and attitude. Rather than the usual Zen mystique that treats koans as arcane meditation objects, Tarant discusses them as open secrets that actually matter for our lives here and now. Uh, Norman. I don't know how to pronounce that. Zogetsu, Norman Fisher, poet and Zen priest, author of Sailing Home, using the wisdom of Homer's Odyssey to navigate life's perils and pitfalls. And uh, for those who don't know, the last book we did by Joan Sutherland, um, John Tarrant was her was his, her teacher. Oh. My turn. Okay. Yes, Carol. Okay, bring me the rhinoceros. What? Bring me the rhinoceros is one of the best books ever written about Zen. Stephen Mitchell, translator of Gilgamesh, a New English version. 
Here's a book to crack the happiness code. If ever there was one, forget about self-improvement, five-point plans and inspirational seminars that you can't remember a word of a week later. Tarans is the fix that fixes nothing because there is nothing to fix. Your life is a koan, a deep question whose answer you are already living. This is the true inspiration and Tarant delivers. And that's by Roger Houston, author of the 10 points, of the 10 poems series. And Cody. Okay. Every life is full of cars, and yet you can't learn from a book how to understand them. You need someone to put you in the right frame of mind to see the puzzles and paradoxes of your experience. With intelligence, humor, and steady deep reflection, Jean Tarrant does this as no one has done it before. This book could take you to a different and important level of experience. Thomas More, author of Care of the Soul. John, John Tarrant's talent for telling these classics and tales transforms them magically into a song in which, as you read, the words disappear as the music continues to echo in your mind and make you happy, mysteriously, like koans. Celia Borstein, author of Pay Attention for Goodness Sake. And, About uh, the, uh, is it me? The, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. going to move you. Oops, okay. I, About the book, Bring Me the Rhinoceros is an unusual guide to happiness and a can opener for your thinking. For 1500 years, Zen koans have been passed down through generations of masters, usually in private encounters between teacher and student. This book definitely retells more than a dozen traditional koans, which are partly paradoxical questions dangerous to your beliefs and partly treasure boxes of ancient wisdom. Koans show that you don't have to impress people or change into an improved more polished version of yourself. Instead, you can find happiness by unbuilding, unmaking, throwing overboard, and generally subverting unhappiness. John Tuan brings the heart of the Koan tradition out into the open, reminding us that the old wisdom remains as vital as ever, a deep resource available to anyone in any place or time. A Zen teacher who has studied koans for 30 years, John Turan directs the Pacific Zen Institute, a venture in meditation and the arts, and teaches culture, culture change in organizations. He is the author of several books, including The Light Inside the Dark. He lives among the vineyards near Santa Rosa, California. This is Nandia. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it's just on my computer, but I'm getting background noise and I'm wondering oh. if folks aren't reading, if they would mind to mute. Okay, let me try also um, changing my setting. I, I made the setting 
so that the bell would sound good and then that background noise comes in is that better i think it's yes did that do it i don't hear it now okay great thank you thank you for saying something as you always do i depend on you that doesn't make me sound so good. Okay. Oh, I think it is. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the world needs people like that, you. I appreciate what you did. We love you for you, Nandi. Thank you, Emily. This book is a report on using koans as a way of transformation in the modern world. One of the, he, I love the idea that he, he this is a, a path toward happiness. One of the features of the project is an open culture of collaboration. Many hands and hearts have been at work here. And then he goes on, I'm not going to read all the people that helped him. Um, Pacific Zen Institute has given me a home base. Tracy Goaded and Duke Inter, Inter, Inter Oh, so we have, uh, I don't know. Integrative? Just a second, someone's coming in. Integrative medicine provide a proving ground for ideas about transforming consciousness. Wolf Creek Partners also provides a way of implementing these ideas in healthcare and medicine. And after K is uh, Malin? No, Melissa. But Melissa, okay. thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Introduction. An impossible question means a journey. This book offers an unusual path to happy, into happiness. It doesn't encourage you to strive for things or manipulate people or change yourself into an improved, more polished version of you. Instead, it suggests a way to approach happiness indirectly by unbuilding, unmaking, tossing overboard, and generally subverting unhappiness. And even in this indirect approach, is not based on a plan. It is hard to plan for something that takes you beyond what you can imagine, which is what this method is designed to do. The method described in this book is based on Zen koans and has been used for a long time in East Asia through the, though in the United States, Europe and Australia. It is just getting established. The goal of Zen koan is enlightenment, which is a profound change of heart. This change of heart makes the world seem like a different place. With it comes a freedom of mind and an awareness of joy and kindness underlying daily life. Isn't that a beautiful definition of enlightenment, a change of heart? And when you see the dotted line, that means that a number of people have in, in Kindle have underlined it. And now Milan. I have a question. Um, sure. 
can you go back one page, please? Yes. So this uh, introduction started talking about happiness, and I would like to ask people what do they think happiness is? Malin, I will start because I struggle with that word happiness because I see happiness as a construct. Um, that's what it is for me. It's not something I ascribe to or, you know, a, a goal. My goal is joy, which for me is sort of like a fountain that flows out of living just that kind of way or life. I strive for contentment, joy, peace. Um, and a mind, heart that are connected to myself and others. So because he's such an accomplished writer and Zen teacher, I will accommodate him <laughs> in his use of the word, but it's not one that I generally um, use in life. But we'll see. We'll see how he defines it. Thank you, Nella. Do you want us each to comment on that? Sure. Okay. T to me, I, I would almost agree that contentment is a better word than happiness. And as long as I have my health, I have my family, there's food to eat, I'm contented. Well, if you had a choice of being contented or happy, what would you choose? I think contentment less. Happiness, I think, has a limit on it. Oh. Anyone else? I, too, would prefer contentment and joy. I have experienced true happiness. And it's something that is, I think, like experiencing true sadness. It's something that like you said, Carol, it's fleeting. It's like true sadness doesn't stay you forever. Thank goodness for that. True happiness, it also, it also flows away. But I think it settles in, into joy. Because joy is something that I think you can leave. It doesn't have a stopping point is something that you can withstand to have it on a daily basis versus true sadness and true happiness. If it goes for too long, it can, I think it, it would be difficult because in order to experience that, you have to experience it in, con in contrast with of everything else that you experience in your life. If you were always in pure happiness, you would, it would come a point where I don't think you would know that you are in true happiness. For me, I, I don't know that I could even define what happiness is. I know I have seen it. I am not positive I have felt true happiness. Um, so I'm interested to see what the definition is in this book and how how that affects people and how you can find it. Normally, it's not a Zen idea. 
Um, my cat, my cat is also contributing because mm -hmm. she's here purring very loudly. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can hear her, but I think she's saying, I'm happy. I'm purring and I'm happy. Okay, Milan. Yeah, thank you. Cons are not intended to prescribe a particular kind of happiness or right way to live. They don't teach you to assemble or make something that didn't exist before. Many psychological and spiritual approaches rely on engineering metaphor on an engineering metaphor and hope to make your mind more predictable and controllable. Cons go the other way. They encourage you to make an alley of the unpredictability of the mind and to approach your life more as a work of art. The surprise they offer is the one that art offers. Inside, of, uh, inside unpredictability, you will find not chaos, but beauty. Cons light up a life that may have been dormant in you. They hold out the possibility of transformation, even if you are trying to address unclear or apparently insoluble problems. And this should be interesting for you, Milan, because you have both a background in art and engineering. Yeah. You know, and, and how these two ways of looking at things, if they're, are they different? I suppose they're different. Yes, they are. Yeah, so, and you can probably do both pretty well. So, so that's going to be interesting for you. Okay, uh, after Milan is Nelda. Hey, Nandia. Oh, Nandia, sorry. I see. I don't see you on the on the grid. You understand that, Nandia? I'm off the grid. Okay. Yes. To begin with, here are seven things to notice about koans. Koans show you that you can depend on creative moves. Usually people think of a creative leap as something like one, two, three, four, six. With koans, a creative leap is more like one, two, three, four, rhinoceros. What happens? Oops. What if happiness were a creative activity like writing a poem? You cannot know where the next line of a poem will come from, and you can't force it. Yet there is a discipline that helps. When you attend in the right way, the poem's next line really does arrive out of nowhere. In the same way, through a koan, happiness can arrive out of nowhere. Koans encourage doubt and curiosity. Koans don't ask you to believe anything offensive to reason. You can have any religion and use koans. You can have no religion and use koans. Koans don't take away painful beliefs and put positive beliefs in their place. Koans just take away the painful beliefs and so provide freedom. I'm gonna read both those sentences again. Koans don't take away painful beliefs and put positive beliefs in their place. Koans just take away the painful beliefs and so provide freedom. 
What you do with that freedom is up to you. It seems that our natural state, according to him, is, is happiness and freedom. And something is in the way. And that if we remove that something, then we'll get back to the, the freedom. Uh, so after Nelda is Starlet. Starlet, you're muted. Thank you. <laughs> Koans rely on uncertainty as path to happiness. If you set off after happiness, thinking that you know what you need, you will always end up with something that meets that need. The problem here is that when you are unhappy, it is as if you are in prison. And in that narrow cell, you think of happiness with the inmate's mind. You might imagine a more comfy cell Consider painting the walls a nicer color, rose perhaps, and getting a new sofa. I'm, I'm sorry, could you go back? Sure. This is blowing my mind. Koans rely on uncertainty as a path to happiness. Personally, for me, uncertainty is <laughs> the source of a lot of anxiety. Oh, a, a source of a lot of what? Anxiety and fear. So this way of thinking is like turning things upside down for me. Yeah, I think most of us do think that way. That I would only be, I would be happy if I knew er that everything was going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. That it's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next one. There's not going to be a surprise. I agree. I like organization. I like to be able to plan for the next day. I don't really love the unexpected. I like to know what, what's coming next, so I'm prepared for it. It doesn't work very well, does it? No. no. <laughs> um, and now that I'm retired, not so badly. Koans don't support the interior decoration decoration project they demolish <laughs> the walls wow okay this is different yeah uh, trouty cons will undermine your reasons and your explanations if you have a reason for happiness then that happiness can be taken away the person you love could leave the job could stop being interesting. If you have a reason for loving life, what happens if that reason fails? With koans, you may find that life and love are so strong and vivid that they can't be explained or justified. Koans open a happiness that comes for no good reason. That happiness exists before reasons have appeared in the universe. Well, reasons are constructs, aren't they, Nelda? Yes, yes, they are. I like that idea, before reasons have appeared in the universe. 
And that reminded me, that very line reminded me of something we read in the last book by Joan Sutherland that we had in Monday Night Intensive, and it's the koan I've been working on, and it is free a ghost, free a ghost. Can you say a little more about that? Oh, yes. So I sat with that. I had no idea what it meant for a long time. And then I realized that what one of the sentences in her book that I hadn't really noticed before, but came to mind, um, said, and that sentence said something I'm paraphrasing, like most of us use ghost words when we talk. We aren't really connected with them or with the other person. We're just sort of putting out stories. And so the, the heart of practice and living is to get to true words that are connected to heart mind. And so I brought that back to this little koan. She printed this list of koans we could start practicing with. And for me personally, free a ghost is to free all of those that those patinas I have in my life, those stories that I consciously or unconsciously tell myself. And the first one that came up, for example, was I need to free my mother. I need to free my mother of my constructs about her and in turn her constructs about me. I need to free my life of the things I think will make me even joyful. And it works in reverse as well. One of the ghosts I need to free is a pretend joy because one of the ways that I tend to function in life is to put on a happy face for everyone um, so that no one is disturbed by my unsettled times or moments. And I'm working at freeing that ghost as well because when I'm putting on or any one of us is, that I'm putting on this patina that does isn't isn't the real me in that moment, and owning all the parts of me as they come up. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And then who's next? We back to Cody? No, Bonnie. Okay. Koans will undermine your reasons and your explanations. If you have a reason for happiness, then that happiness can be taken away. The person you love could leave. The job could stop being interesting. If you have a reason for loving life, what happens if that reason fails? With koans, you may find that life and love are so strong and vivid that they can't be explained or justified. Koans open a happiness that comes for no good reason. That happiness exists before reasons have appeared in the universe. Koans lead you to see life is as funny rather like would see life as funny rather than tragic well which would you rather this is one of their delights for example an earnest visitor 
asked a Chinese master, where do we go when we die? I shall go straight to hell, said the old master. You, said the questioner, a good Zen master, why would you go to hell? If I don't, who will teach you? <laughs> That's clever. Cody, your turn. Colonists will change your idea of who you are. And this a little across. slower, Cody, Cody, a little slower. Thank you. <clears throat> Colonists will change your idea of who you are. And this will require courage. If you are used to living in a small room and suddenly discover a wide meadow, you might feel unsafe. Everyone thinks that they want happiness, but they might not. They might rather keep their stories about who they are and about what is, what is impossible. Happiness is not an add-on to what you already are. It requires you to become a different person from the one who set off seeking it. Uh, koans uncover a hidden kindness in life. Koans show a path in which kindness is part of the foundation of the mind, not one of its accoutrements, nor something to be cultivated. If it were an attainment, kindness could be taken away or lost. When you unpack all of your motives and other people's motives and get to the bottom of things, you find love. I know that this is, sho this is a shocking thing to say, but I will try to show you how it is true. Um, excuse me, what is accoutrement? Accoutrement. Accoutrement. It's like not yeah, one like of the accessories. Uh, something like an, added to <laughs> embellish. Uh, let's see what the dictionary says. Oh, that's what it is. Additional items of dress or equipment or other items carried or worn by a person used for a particular activity. If you wore a brooch, would that be an accoutrement? Yes. I think you could say the accoutrements are just the stuff that goes with stuff. And you could easily do without them, but then they add. Yeah, oh. they're the accessory. They're not the main, they're not the meat of the, of the thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. I know now a new word. <laughs> It looks French. Mm -hmm. Yes. I just, uh, since we stop, I just wanted to ask people that have been practicing koans for a while, if they do like the previous sentence, the ones that says happiness is not enough on to your, to what you're, you already are, it requires you to become a different person from the one who set off seeking it. Do, do you think, do you feel that way? We certainly have to think in a different way or not think in a different way. You know, and he talked before about reason, you know, and reason just goes so far. 
There's a lot of things that work for a while, but then don't work. Like Nelda was talking about putting on this face that works for a while and then and then there's a problem. Don't you think, Nelda? Yes. It's, it served you well, well in many, in many. Uh, oh, absolutely. And the problem is that it's not real, you know, and, and I want to get to authenticity. I want to get to deeper connection. I want to get to beyond the superficial and the social niceties. I want to, I want to connect heart to heart and mind to mind. And so that's part of putting things aside, but Malen, um, I didn't want to become a different person, <laughs> but it just kind of naturally flows from this practice. And it also, I think I want to mention this for those of us who are a little older than others, and I'm, I'm not doing a power up thing by saying that the things I thought I wanted 20 years ago aren't important to me anymore. The things I want, I, I, um, aspire to now uh, it's my hope that those things will be long lasting lifelong because they're not um again they're not embedded in um artificial constructs and thoughts and belief patterns i know one example was you know the the prince is going to come take away the princess and they're going to get married and live happily ever after well, that is so Disney, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and and I've I've realized that over time as we've each realized different things in our own lives over time. I wonder if you could look at it different a little bit differently, that rather than becoming a different person, you become the person who you are. Mm -hmm. Um Kim, I well, it would have when this was read, it reminded me of a poem that I wrote. And basically, the poem gets to the point that you just said. Is it okay if I read it? Sure. You guys like to hear it? Yeah. Yes, yes and, please. And yes. Also, also, you guys should all know that, that Starlet wrote a poem in Zen writing that became an animation. And she's going to play the animation Thursday night in Zen writing. And she's going to give the pe people op an opportunity to respond to it. And it's going into a book, their responses and her poems. So if you come at seven o'clock on Thursday night, you have an opportunity to be in Starlet's book. Okay, but go <laughs> on, read your poem. <laughs> Thank you, Kim, for that. And I really hope all of you come. <laughs> I, I wish I could. Okay, so the the poem, the title is To Belong. All my life, I wanted to belong, but I didn't. I didn't belong in my family, in my school, in my work, in my life. It didn't matter how much I tried to fit in. It didn't matter if I talked, I was hushed. And yet I was stepped on when I was quiet. It didn't matter if I laughed, it was questioned. And yet I was mocked when I cried. It just didn't matter how I dress, my likes or dislikes, what I felt or wanted. I was never good enough. 
I was either too smart or not enough. I was too different to be pretty. I simply, I simply didn't fit in. To belong, you have to fit. And I didn't. In my sorrow, in my loneliness, I learned to embrace myself. I learned acceptance. I learned to be me, even if I didn't fit in. I learned to speak up and I stood up for myself. I learned to express my feelings and I stood up for myself. I learned to do what I like, not what I dislike. And I stood up for myself. It is enough to be me, just me. And I stood up in my loneliness no more. For then I found myself included, part of a community, belonging once and for all. Thank you. Thank you. That Thank resonates. You. It does. I, I just feel that it correlates with what we're reading and talking about. It's not about trying to fit it into society and the norms and everybody that are not even treating us right. And we're trying to fit in and we're forcing ourselves to but it's, 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 it's destroying us. But I think the cons is about allowing yourself and learning to be you. And in doing that, you end up finding yourself surrounded by people that accept you as you are. And then I do believe that can be a way to find happiness. Am I wrong with that, Kim? I, I think absolutely. I'm not wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, who's reading now? I am. Okay, Jay. Hold on. Oh, next page. Stumbling into koans. At 22, I was an occasional secretary and live-in gardener to the, to the Australian poet Judith Wright. In her garden, butterflies swirled, satin bower birds built bowers and danced with flowers and blue clothes pegs in their beaks. Lorikeets and small wallabies passed through on their separate roads. At the root of the paddock, the leftover rainforest began. Great festoon trees hanging in the sky like branching neurons. When the neighbor died, his wife buried him down by the creek and dared the timidly inquiring police to find him. I had a desk in the basement and bush rats ran over my toes. The hallucinatory mushrooms I occasionally took seemed hardly necessary to make life more numinous. Numinous? Numinous. I don't know what that word means. Let's numinous. look at her. I don't either. Having a strong religious or spiritual quality indicating or suggesting the presence of a divinity. Mm. The strange numinous beauty of this, kind of like luminous, but new, religious. 
Interesting. Beauty of the Yes. I have never heard that one. I have Oh, me? Yes. Still, there were, there were questions that would not go away. None of the usual solutions to life that were on offer meant much to me. And like many young people, I didn't at first expect to live for a long time. When I continued living anyway and needed to make a life, I found myself yearning to make sense of things. I had noticed, as almost everyone does, moments of great and apparently everlasting beauty, followed by, my, by standard issue miseries, and found the incongruence hard to deal with. I wanted to be loyal to that beauty while not dodging the dark bits. That's a nice one, isn't it? I like that. But what is the universe made of? I asked. What does it all go together? How, how does it all go together? Can it come apart? What are we doing here? It seems odd now that I didn't ask why are we unhappy? Perhaps I took happiness as a secondary, a corollary of answering the what's it all about questions. My question was urgent but I wasn't sure what it was. I wasn't certain if I had had, I wasn't certain if I had had one question or many, and I didn't want to want an answer to in the conventional sense. Instead, I wanted a magic key to a realm in which the insoluble and even I, and even in. Indefinable. Thank you. And even indefinable questions made sense. One of the good things about Judith Wright was that while she was herself passionately involved in the outer political tumult of that time over war and Aboriginal land rights and saving the Great Barrier Reef, she knew immediately what I meant. You probably need to go to India for that, she said, without apparent irony, and turned back to her typewriter. It was as if I had asked where she kept the paper clips. <laughs> oh, I said, slightly let down. I had hoped she might be able to tell me herself. I took her reply to mean that for a certain kind of knowledge, knowledge you have to undertake a journey. It isn't like pouring water into a bucket a process by which neither water nor bucket is much changed. It seemed that if I took this journey, I could be utterly changed. And before setting out, I couldn't predict what that change could be. That was interesting to me. It encouraged me to set off with only the vaguest, vaguest directions Vegas. how do you say that you said it right vegas i think yes vegas thank you tomato tomato 
It might give plausibility to my account to say that I was led to koans by a blinding flash, but I just stumbled across them in a book. They looked to be a kind of Chinese poetry. I was at a time when managing my mind had come to seem like a really good idea and I needed a method. I knew immediately that koans might help. If I would, it was as if I held out my hand to see if it was raining and a yellow ball fell into my palm. I didn't understand the koans, but they made my life seem beautiful, even the painful and miserable parts, and that changed the value of everything. That. I was all... Are we back it... at the beginning? No. Is no. it Trouty? No, Nelda. 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 Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I'll start at the first sentence and again. When I was off balance, koans pushed me further off balance and into unknown territory. I liked that. I was always struggling to have things make sense. And koans allowed me or required me to work with life more the way an artist would, loving especially the material that didn't make sense. They were keys to another realm where even serious problems had a different and a lesser valence. I, is it my turn? Yes. Can, can I share something? Um, sure. Before? Yeah. You know, I, I'm listening to people share um, the discomfort or this ease of not knowing. And I don't know, I, I enjoy not knowing because it makes me cu curious about stuff. And then I go <laughs> research and I, I look up and I don't know, I just have fun with it. And, you know, and it always... Um, like uh, I find it curious when I hear um, individuals who don't share that, you know, like I love surprises and then to, you know, find someone who doesn't like surprises and you're like, but why? It is so fun. <laughs> so it's just always interesting when I hear um, that a different perspective than what I experienced or how I um, move around in the world and experience the world. So Okay, okay. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. My mother was mentally ill. And so you never knew when the next moment would leave, lead to an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. And so uncertainty and change um, until I came to this practice, and even still now that I practice, are terrifying to me. Yeah. So not only do I always have a plan, but I have 10 contingency plans and 10 for each of those because of how terrifying growing up was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine other people for other different reasons um, came to a similar place of uncertainty being scary or anxiety invoking or um, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Yeah. No, I um and Nalda, I hope you understand. It wasn't a critique. It's just that it's always interesting when you hear 
um, like right now I'm going on a trip um, with two other individuals and one of the individual, I'm sharing a room with one of them and the other one was like, you're not going to be uncomfortable. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm like, it's not a, like I'm a, it's a stranger, right? For me. And for her, it's so weird that I would be willing to share. So it's always interesting when um, I get to experience somebody else's way of thinking, or you know what I mean? Like, so that's what I'm saying. That is always interesting to me. Jay, it's wonderful to have a person like you because oh. I, I, I like to know exactly if I'm going to be with someone who, who they're with and what they like and do, do they sleep with their light on or if I, it, it would, so it, it's wonderful that someone is easy going like that. My daughter-in-law's mother was like that. And I mean, she's not, mm. she died, but she, but it, she was such a pleasure to have around because nothing would upset her. Yeah. And anything that you said, as long as she was included in it, she was happy and she didn't get what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sounds like where you are and y- your life is going to be a better life because of it. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Jay, I'm just going to say, you keep reminding me your beautiful poem of the bloop, bloop. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> thank you. And I think that shows how you were happy to go down the stream, bloop, bloop with water here because the stream is always changing. Personally, I would prefer for life to be still. <laughs> and the, because when I say about not liking surprises, I mean when life hits you. If life is bringing something good, by all means, bring all the surprises you want. But when it's a bad thing, it's like, seriously no please you you say that um starlet like when it's a bad thing and it makes me think kim tell me if it's a corn or a story but you know the one with the um the farmer who says perhaps i think it's like oh my god that's the worst thing yeah i think that's a story okay right and he's like "Mm, perhaps Maybe, you know, and then something else happens and he's like, and many, many hey. don't know the story. You want to tell us? I don't. Please share. Oh, my God. OK, so I don't know it offhand, but his, his horse son... runs away. That's the first thing. Oh, OK, good. Yeah. His horse runs away and his neighbors come to console him. And he says, perhaps or whatever. And then the next day, the horse comes back with a lot of horses trailing it. And they come to congratulate him. And then his son uh, breaks his leg and they come Mm -hmm. to uh, console him. We're so sorry your son broke his leg. And then the army comes for the son. Mm -hmm. And they won't take the son because he has a broken leg. Mm -hmm. And then the neighbors come to console him. And I love the story because that's actually what happened to me. A horse fell on my foot and broke my leg and broke, broke my foot. And then I uh, didn't go to Vietnam. Oh, wow. So it's kind of my story. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I'll add to that, like over the um, last winter, we had one of the pipes in our family room busted and you know, flooded the floor. We had to rip up the floor and everything. But I don't know. I've just learned that, at least the way I move through the world, 
is that everything is happening for my best, my highest good, because I don't believe that I was brought here to be punished. So I always keep an open mind. And so when we ripped up the floor, we realized, um, I got certain things with the, the, the way the pipes were done and it's, it's been leaking for many years, but we didn't know, you know, Uh so, and it's just that if it wasn't for that, and believe it or not, during the time when it busted, the weather was unseasonably warm. So we had to turn off power, you know, and everything just lined up. And I know some people are like, oh my God, that's horrible. And yet for me, it was like, thank you. The weather was good. We were able to fix the issue. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I moved through the, I've learned, it, I was not always like this. I have, my practice has led me to this and I am grateful for the change. And, you know, I was hesitant, I was hesitant to say it, but I'm happy. And I know happiness is going to be different for each and every one of us here. It's going to be a different definition for each and every one of us. But I am, I can honestly say I'm happy despite or in spite of, I don't know which is the right one, but what life throws at me, I am happy. So. Okay, you're an aspiration. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea how much joy it brings me to see a joyful person. Thank you, Nalda. (laughs) I do want to bring up a saying in Spanish, no hay mal que por bien no venga. There is no harm that it, no, that good wouldn't come out of it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. would be the translation. Nelda, yeah. uh, Moana's smiling. I guess she knows it too. And what I was thinking was the one that says that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> That's utter bullshit. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to give an expand as long as we're talking about this, you know, um, that this practice has changed me. One of the things that happened, Kim knows this because my son emailed him when I was in Buenos Aires, uh, no, um, um, Brazil, sure. Rio de Janeiro. Uh, my phone got stolen, it was right next to me, got stolen. And um, and several things that were part of, for me, part of my practice came up. I, d- I didn't get upset. In fact, the thing that I focused on the most was not creating bad karma for myself or for whoever took it. So the first thing I did in my mind was say, I give it to you. I gift you my phone so that there would be no bad karma for whoever had it, because if I gave it as a gift, then it wouldn't be stolen. And then um, if I was giving it as a gift, there was no reason to be upset. And the good that also came out of it is that it involved, it required involving my son in this very circuitous ways, uh, trying to remember my Gmail um, passcode and all of that, and helping to get information to Kim and to my doggy sitter, John Cooley here. And how lovely because 
he is traveling. My son is traveling in two weeks to Rome with his girlfriend. And how lovely that he's now had to walk through this loss of a phone with me. How to, you know, to store your information in certain places other than your phone so that if something does happen, you have options. So it was a great practice. It really was. <laughs> okay, who's reading now? Trudy. Okay. Trudy? Yeah, but where are we? <laughs> I think I read and worked. Is that where we are? Oh, no. I... Or are we at uh, balance. balance? Balance was the last word, the last paragraph. Okay. And I read then, and worked on cons. No, I didn't read, so I guess it's my turn. Okay. Yes, okay. go ahead. I read and worked on koans my, by myself and then traveled to study with teachers of the koan schools. Eventually, I worked to make the method user-friendly because koans are something I love and I thought others might find them helpful too. I wrote this book so you can try the method and see if you like it. What are cons exactly? When I tried to find out what cons are, it became clear that con is a Japanese word that has entered the English language without bringing a clear sense of its meaning. It is usually taken to refer to some sort of riddle or odd question. A koan actually has its origin in sayings or records of conversations between people interested in the secret of life. Bonnie. Thank you. Koans originated when Chinese culture flowered about 1300 years ago. At the period of the Arthurian legends in England. In China, it was a time of willow pattern ceramics, woodblock printing, great poets and painters, and just as in Europe, civil war. It was also a time when people grew seriously interested in the technology of the mind. Certain spiritual teachers be became known for a deep and free understanding of life. And people came to learn, hoping to gain the insight that a teacher had. Some left farms, homes, and jobs in the bureaucracy to form monastic communities. Some traveled a thousand miles on foot. These students worked, studied, meditated, and asked questions. Others maintained their work and family life and dropped in for periods of study. The teachers weren't trying to achieve something. They just responded to the needs of their students. And it turned out that some of their improvised decisions kept the process interesting. First of all, they trusted doubt and rewarded questions. This is rare in religion, an example of the Zen way of treating what is usually thought of as a problem. In this case, doubt as strength. 
that's short, I'll read the next one too. Um, the teacher also treated all questions as if they were relevant, no matter what their content. Why did I lose my love? Would have the same spiritual value as what happens when I die? A question is a place of embarkment and any question was treated as being, in a, being about enlightenment, whether the student was aware of it or not. There was a trust in whatever forces had brought the student to the point of asking. Oh no, well, I, I guess I picked two words, oops. I it's tried. a journey to embark on a is to leave. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Embarkation is to leave or to get on a ship or okay. it's the beginning, it's the beginning of a journey. Finally, instead of giving kind advice or step-by-step -step instructions, the teachers responded to the students as if they were capable of coming to a complete understanding in that moment. A teacher's words often made no rational sense yet possess a strangely compelling quality. For example, someone had this exchange with a great teacher. I am King Shi, alone and destitute. Please help me. Kuaoshan said, Mr. Shui, yes. Kuaoshan said, you have already drunk three cups of the finest wine, and yet you say that you haven't even wet your lips. Of all the answers the student might have been hoping for, he probably wasn't expecting to be involved in a call and response and to be told that he was rich. Yet, when you think you are desolate, it can be an intriguing and hopeful thing to be told that you are not. After such exchanges, a student who had been stuck and unhappy might suddenly be full of joy. More often, the words would work away in the mind, gradually drawing the student out of a limiting view he or she had. Some exchanges, some exchanges became famous and were written down. They came to be known as koans. The word means public case and there was a mania for collecting them. A well-known teacher forbade his students to write down what he said because he thought people were recording his comments as a substitute for the more necessary and dangerous task of letting them work on the mind. One man adapted by wearing paper clips, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> One man adapted by wearing paper clothing to lectures and the notes he jutted down secretly on his sleeves were passed around. These koans in turn became the core of one of the great koan collections, the Blue Cliff Record. Kim, that's you. Soldiers, housewives, farmers, and merchants used koans to find freedom within the often difficult conditions of their times. The method was to emerge yourself in the saying and see how it changed you. 
This meant letting the koan teach you by interacting with your life and your mind. The activity wasn't confined to periods of formal meditation. People farmed the land, <laughs> ran bureaucracies, and raised children, all the while keeping moment by moment company with their koan. Um, just to notice um, the beauty of your misreading, uh, the sentence said uh, the method was to immerse yourself, but you said the method was to emerge yourself. Oh. And so what I'm hearing is that um, only in immersing ourselves can we emerge ourselves. So I think that was the very fortuitous. Thank you for meeting. noticing that. Also, also um, what I thought of when I was reading this at the end was you need to be doing these other things for the con to to kind of come forth. And there was one time um, where we had death in practice at, um, it used to be at Appamata and we, oh, I think it was a Wednesday night koan study. And I got in my car and I figured out the koan and I didn't know what I would do because I wanted to like immediately contact everyone and say, it means this, it means this, it means it. By the time I got home, I realized I was all wrong but it was fun to um, at least get to that point of complete understanding and then to have it like burst away. But you need to be doing something else, you know, and I'm always figuring things out after I'm working on them, you know, when I'm doing something else and then, then it becomes clear. It's but this also seems like to say- Kind of um, like a, um, um, the magic eye of sort of the heart and mind it's like you can't look right at it or it it will never emerge. What I had wanted to say is it's not something that takes you out of life because you're living your life while you're experiencing this. And that makes it not separate you. It puts you into the world. I like that. Yeah. I agree. In one instance, when Genghis Khan's troops spread through China, <coughs> swept through China in the 12th century, provincial governors went to the Khan and made and became senior ministers. They lived out on the steeps with him, hoping to persuade him to rule the cities rather than burning them and converting them into, rather than burning them and converting them into horse pasture. He would be hard not to feel unprepared for and perhaps a little terrified of such a task. And one of the ministers asked his teacher for advice. The most helpful thing the teacher could think of was to make a collection of koans and poems that he called the Book of Serenity. When this book arrived on the steeps, the story goes, the ministers sat up together all night in a yurt, reading the koans aloud. They had an impossible situation, so they saturated themselves in a method that prepared them to take advantage of whatever tiniest 
possibility might indeed appear. And the Book what, of Serenity what, is going to be our next book. What is a yurt? Why you are too? What uh, is it? It's a like yurt a round is a ten. okay. What? It's a yeah, a, a round build like um, like it's not like exactly like a dome, but it's just a it's, it's a round, round temple. temple. Yeah, yeah, where people live, they actually make homes, um, and and they're collapsible. They can you can mm -hmm. move them. But they are also very insulated mm -hmm. because it's very cold. Yeah, on those very... steps. Today, it is not so different from the way it was in China. People are called on to survive terror attacks and random mayhem. And even the most domestic life has its quota of dispersation and insoluble sorry, problems. And it is its requirements for initial kindness. Today, people can find cons as helpful as they did long ago. I'm here. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. putting a yurt in the chat. Oh, great! Thank you. Each good for the chapter visual. of each chapter of this book has a koan and some comments on it. The koan, in its original form, is given separately on the opening page of the chapter. The comments on the koan vary. Sometimes they show you how you might enjoy working with the koan. Sometimes they give an account of a person's experience working with the koan. And that person might be ancient or recent. And sometimes they show situations and attitudes that make most sense in terms of the koan style of thinking, which will become clearer as we go along. As for me, did I go to India to answer my questions as my mentor suggested long ago? Well, not literally. As it turned out, India, strangely enough, came to me without my asking in the form of koans. Chapter one opens a gate into those questions by taking up one of the oldest of the koan stories. Ah. No, 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 no. I think yeah, we should so wait. We oh. should wait. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Get okay. to eat, eat this um, next week. <laughs> but wow, what a great discussion tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. To me, it is so wonderful to hear all the different voices. It's it's like having a whole the whole of the world come into the room at, at, at one time or another, and the kindness of everyone recognizing that that we don't all have the same vocabulary, we don't we don't all understand words in the same way, and to be be able to to hear that and the gentleness of of that acceptance.
Thank you for languaging that, Melissa. Yes, I second that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Me too. Thank you. Good 